0: Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. As we watch the end of military operations in Afghanistan, the vacuum left behind is filling with the same Taliban militias we fought so bravely to eliminate. As you can imagine, making the hangover from war all that much worse for the veterans of the global war on terrorism. And simultaneously, defense analysts, former officers, government officials make the rounds on the TV news shows. And it appears that most of them are saying our evacuation From Afghanistan and the turnover of key bases is a mistake. And in an opinion that seems reinforced by every video clip we see of the violence and the killing of Afghan fighters by the Taliban. So I was surprised to read recently such a fierce op-ed from a friend of the show, an army combat veteran, an intel security contractor who spent more hours outside the wire in combat zones than some spend studying for the bar exam. So uh, let's welcome Pete Turner, host of the podcast, The Break It Down Show. Pedro, welcome back, buddy.
2: <laughs> That's a great intro, man. I love it. <laughs> I should have studied for the bar.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, right. <laughs> we would still be facing nothing but endless problems. And as reporters, certainly in the veteran and the military space, you know, it's kind of one and the same. You know, you'd be a divorce lawyer with unhappy people every day. We're military veterans covering the uh, mill vet lane, and there's unhappy people. Um, I want to start real quick with just sort of a 30,000 foot question, and we'll drill down from there. Those that say we should stay in Afghanistan or we should have extended our stay, I tend to look at it like, huh, we stayed in Japan after World War II, we stayed in Germany. We really wove ourselves into the fabric of those communities and our bases continued to support that vacuum that was there when World War II ended. Why would we not do the same in Afghanistan?
2: Maybe we should stay, right? Maybe that is the answer. And I understand my peers that say that. And I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't consider these things. There are, there's going to be a cost for leaving. And I've always said this, right? There will be human atrocities. The interpreters, the people that work with us, people who are identified with the U.S., they are going to be reaped. And we own part of that. So there is some sense in saying that we should stay. However, people like Bob Gates, who I was, Secretary Robert Gates, who I was talking about specifically in my response, he hasn't earned the right to do more of it. You don't just get to spend more money and spread more incompetence. When I say incompetence, everybody's trying their best. Everybody's doing what they know how to do. But we don't take the Afghanistan or the Iraq fights seriously. And and that goes to our entire foreign policy as a military, as a DOD, as a Department of State. We don't take it seriously. And when I say that is, again, not to undermine what anybody's done or how anybody, uh, you know, what they've lost and and put in in terms of career. What I'm saying is, is, and I I closed my op-ed out by saying this. We've spent more time training on how to apply sunscreen to our bodies than we do on how to work with an interpreter professionally. There is no professional interpreter skill set, but there are. you can learn how to professionally jump out of an airplane and then get better and better and better at that. We don't do that with an interpreter, right? So there is no professional interpreter school so that when you show up, you're like, any interpreter I get, any language, any country, anywhere... I will be able to build trust with that person and through that person engage my partner better than what we did. You don't get to stay if you're not going to handle the basics. The other part of this thing is when you look at firing a rifle, Marines can hit a target at 800 meters reliably over and over and over again. And if they can't, they land the ground with an NCO and they work on specific drills until they can. So it's the same thing when you go out and engage with Afghans. If you're not going to have the skills that allow you to reliably build trust, to reliably create capacity, then you don't get to stay because all we're doing is wasting everybody's time. And that's, so that's sort of my thing is, is you don't get to stay, Bob. You don't get to ask for more money and more aid, more NGOs, because the NGOs are just as bad at this. We're, we're too focused on our benefit to reliably see the cause damage that we cause. And because we cause so much damage and so much instability, you know, we call these fights uh, counterinsurgency operations. The problem is, is, we are the insurgents. We came in and we topple a government and we're saying this is new government's better. Right. That makes you an insurgency. And so when we fight do a fight, a counterinsurgency, we really, truly are fighting ourselves. And it's exactly right. We are the cause. Of instability, the moment we show up. Was there instability before? Yes, but we can't reliably show any unit for any length of time creating stability. So you don't get to stay if what you create is instability.
1: Mm. All right, let's um, let's rewind a little bit because you're. I think as I've said to you a dozen times, your two cents spends like a buck with me because you have <laughs> such great experience. I want to set the stage for what we're talking about first. The op-ed is, of course, talking about how former Secretary of Defense, Bob Gates, makes the rounds on the media and everybody fawns over what Bob Gates says. And they're like, oh, well, the former Secretary of Defense says we need to be there. And that, well, you know, this administration is just soft. And, you know, one political party plays up his soundbite one way, another political party or another news network spun a different way. To me, it's all bull. And it's just him having FaceTime with the news networks, and eventually he'll have a book come out that he's trying to sell. Now, I want to get to your experience and why your keen observations of what a former Secretary of Defense is saying could possibly be construed as bull. Your background, I know, US Army veteran, um, Central Europe, Kosovo. But then what I've appreciated about your career is the spooky side. Um, mm. You spent a hell of a lot of time with Afghans outside the wire of the fob, doing cross-cultural stuff. Tell me a little bit
2: about the years of experience and what you actually did there. Yeah, well, so one of the things that I got the benefit or the uh, fortunate misfortune is, is I stayed when units left. And literally what a contractor is, is I am an employee of a company that has been hired to do something the government says, hey, we need help with. And my basic job was to, and I was coded as an intel operative basically, right? My job is to to give the commander what they can't get from anybody else and and tell them what's not working in their mission. And so I would go out and talk to Afghans. I could be on the same patrol, but I'm looking for different things. Everybody's focused on threat and God bless, we need to do that. And, And I'm not ignoring threat, but I'm purposely not focused on it. I'm looking at the other things that are undermining our mission. And I'm watching unit after unit roll through the area. One of the things that's great about being a DA civilian or a contractor is you stay, and then you watch the next unit come in and repeat the cycle of these mistakes. This is not an earth-shattering revelation. We know units come in to fight their one-year war, and it's the same pattern over and over again. The problem is is that someone like me, I can change that pattern for you, but only a little bit, right, because the unit has to do all the hard work. And so I had to work on building trust with the units as they came in because they didn't know me. And it took, I don't know, it used to take months. Then I got down to about six weeks where I could say, hey, if you guys will let me, I will help you and they'll get better. But even at six weeks, they're so far behind on their ability Mm -hmm. to improve what they do. When I go out and talk to the Afghans and I've built trust with them and I've got a year plus worth of trust built with these people, testable, reliable trust, professional level trust. I have to communicate to the Afghans. You have to give these guys a minute. They're still new. They're, they're coming. They want to help. you know. And then a lot of the times what I would tell the commander is do less, do it better, which they all know, but they need specifically to know where it is. So, so there's a lot of parts going on. It's a strategic and a tactical fight all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it requires very deliberate, delicate work that often fails.
1: First, I totally understand how complex it is to work with the military machine who comes in and fights their one-year wars, as you put it so smartly. Yeah, a, a new unit gets deployed, they set up shop on the FOB, and they're there to shoot bad guys. You've right. been there for a year now or more. Mm-hmm. In your case, how many years do you spend in country? Over there? I
2: got 70 months in combat. Zones. Yeah. 70 okay. months. It's a long time.
1: So you've been in country for a long time, much longer than this new unit that rolls in. Shed right. some light for me on... The situations you'd find yourself in with the afghans i i'll never forget when a mutual friend of ours, Scott Husing, author of Echo and Ramadi, told me that you would often be in a room full of nothing but afghani tribal leaders you would be you and an interpreter you'd be the sole white guy in that room the sole American, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. at some point in time that had to be just absolutely terrifying because they could have just decided to turn around and get rid of you from the meeting by killing you any moment.
2: Yeah. So my role was to really, so there's every commander has basically four missions, right? Um, the first, the first mission is just close with and destroy the enemy. Well, okay. There's a lot of people focused on that. Let me not focus there. And so I would go out and, and engage with the tribal elders to talk about, you know, how these things are working, you know, and ask questions like one of my favorite questions to ask, Phil, is I would ask whoever it was, farmer, elder, you know, bad guy, whatever it is, and I would say, hey, what's the last thing the government did for you? Remember, we're there to build this government up, right, make it legitimate, and, and get it to a point where it has capacity to do what it's supposed to do. And when they laugh in my face, the commander wants to know about that, because they're like, well, that's not my job is to make people laugh at us, you know, like, we want this to work. And so one of the things that I would often do is ask these kind of hard questions is what was the last thing the government did or what's the least smallest thing the government should be doing? or What can we do together to help figure this problem out? And there's crystal clear answers when you start to look at these problems in this fashion, because I'm sitting in the room with these Afghans. They've got to trust me that I'm going to get their message back to that commander in a way that allows Creates the opportunity for success to say it that way. Right. And so I am sitting there and I have built trust and they they wrap their trust around me. They're like, hey, you're helping us figure this out. We appreciate that. You know, we want your help. And so I can be in that room and not only in that room with the Afghan elders talking to them, but I would bring them on the camp. Think about this. We're in a combat zone, right? I developed the capacity of building trust with the Afghans and with the local commander. When I say commander, I'm not talking captains. I'm talking colonels and above. And so I would go to the post that I was on and I would say, hey, I'm going to have an Afghan elder come in. And you're going to walk him right on in and you're going to treat him like he's from Congress. And they're like, yeah, hell, I'm doing that. Right. (laughs) And so I'm like, I understand. I don't want everybody to get in trouble. Let's build this machine so it works well but we're going to respect the hell out of these guys. And so I would build this system of trust with the Americans. Like this is an elder. This is them. We're going to treat with respect. I'm going to bring him in, have a meeting with him in the chow hall. He's going to see us for a change. We always go to them. Let's give him some air conditioning. Let's give him some ice cream. Let's have all the muffins he wants. Who cares? And let's have a meeting. And so I would do these meetings oftentimes in the chow hall, you know, and what would happen, Phil, is I would meet people that nobody else was meeting as an American at one point that i was so influential in the valley that i was in the taliban tasked the, the local government leader to set a meeting to evaluate me and my buddy rich the taliban did a by name tasking saying we want pete and rich to show up at a meeting and we're going to determine if these guys are part of the problem or part of the solution and if we can get and, and by the way i don't know this is going to happen i find out later and so we go to this meeting and because I don't focus on threat, because I'm like, you know, how are things going? What what has worked? You know, and I'm asking questions in a way that allows me to understand the reality of the farmer. And I'm not looking at it like an American. The Taliban says, well, those guys are cool. They can operate in the area. They're not a problem. Wow.
1: So all that I ask you to illuminate on because it's woven into your op-ed that basically defies what Secretary Gates parades around on the news networks and says, we need to stay longer. We need to fight stronger. We need to fight harder. And you're a guy that's been on the road, been on the street, been in the chow hall with the locals, has identified their needs, and in many cases had to talk to the Taliban themselves the same guys that two hours later we could have been fighting or shooting hellfire missiles at that just as soon would have cut your throat than look at you. But you had to develop some sort of trust because they're running the show over there. And we can't stop that from happening because it's their country. It's how their hierarchy works. It, they ran the Valley before we got there. And once we leave, they still go and run that Valley. You had to single-handedly go in there or go in there with your team, develop trust to accomplish assistance for the locals and it's that assistance that you depict in your op-ed that just blew my mind we were there to help the farmers have greater productivity and we screwed it up explain to me the detailed way that you laid out Something as simple as getting farmers' irrigation systems or greenhouses ended up being a foo bar that ended up causing more problems among the locals than solutions.
2: One of the things I write in the piece is about the distance between someone like a Robert Gates or a General Mattis or anybody. I mean, when they show up to try to understand something, they couldn't be more irrelevant. There was um, uh, this briefed desire to reopen the bazaar in this one area that I was in. And they would show all these mud hut buildings that it just looks like our ancient ruin, right? Because it's mud huts and we don't get it. And in our mind, or in that general's mind, it's like, hey, all we got to do is in- infuse some money, do some small small business loans, micro loans, and we can, we can pump some energy into this thing. That's completely impossible, right? So we have a general, a brilliant person, promises things that are not even on, it's not in anybody's mind And in my mind, it was embarrassing because he was so far removed from reality, right? He's talking about these bazaars. And I was trying to get the unit, like, stop talking about the bazaar. No one there is talking about the bazaar. And whatever you think is going to happen there, and I, I worked hard on this before I said this, it's baby steps that are smaller than what one unit can accomplish in one year, right? So take this same model in Afghanistan for farmers. When you look at a farmer and you say, I'm going to make your condition better, and you haven't bothered to even understand the condition of that farmer or their market chain, how in the world are you going to fix it? How in the world are they going to respect you? You're going to come in with an answer to a problem that they haven't identified. And so whether it's growing poppy, which I can be hypercritical of, pomegranates or grapes, we get it wrong all the time because we come at this from an inexperienced unprofessional approach. And so when we look at something like, I think grapes is the best example. We're desperate to get Afghan farmers who grow grapes to grow them on a trellis because it'll yield more grapes. Now these guys already grow grapes. They've been growing grapes for, for generations, right? This is not new to them, you know? So you're going to come in and tell a farmer, go to the central Valley of California as a foreign government and say, not only foreign government, a foreign military force occupying the central Valley of California and say, Hey, you guys are growing your food wrong that you've been here for generations doing. You need to do it this way. Okay. Think about how impossible and and ridiculous that is. And now don't even understand the market chain. Okay. So we go to these grape farmers and say, grow your grapes on trellises. We'll give you money to do this. It'll make things better. You'll make more money. And the farmers won't do it. The the question the commander asked me, we have aid. They won't take it. Help me understand Okay, let me go look into that, right? So I go and look into it, and here's what they go. Yeah, if we put trellises up and put our grapes on those things, that identifies us as taking a side with you. And that's dangerous in Taliban country. By the way, I am Taliban. You know, like, my family is Taliban. So, you know, this person is not a Taliban person, but his brother, his cousin, his uncle, you know, the Taliban was from this area. And so you're trying to undermine something that is them. And, and they'll even say, like look, my, you know, I wish my brother did something else, but he is fighting. And then here's the thing, Phil, this is the, the horrible part, is when we brief this, like, hey, the Afghans are too stupid to know how to run a well. These Afghans are too stupid to know how to grow grapes properly. And that was the, the way we briefed ourselves. These people are too stupid to take our help and to make more money. And this is, I'm using the grapes because the Taliban part is there, and it's like so complex to even explain it. I can't really even explain it as good as we can in the time we have here, because there's so many pieces to this, right? All we saw was they're dumb, they won't do it, and you can't fix this place because these people are stupid. And really, who's the stupid one? We are the stupid one. And by the way, same playbook, right? Different place, same playbook. And I said, hey, uh, one of our goals is to have you be able to hire people, to come in and help you bring a crop in. And they got laughed in my face. Always a good point. I grab my notebook and I'd write down the note. I will never hire anybody outside of my family. There is no crop too big for me to, not to, to have to go outside of my family to bring it in. We will bring in any crop. It does not matter. So here, this whole State Department funded project was to get them to hire day laborers to bring in a crop. And the guy's like, impossible, never will happen. Not, and I'm like, what if you had the biggest year ever? And he's like, yeah, my family will bring in any size crop. You can write that down as many times as you want. It's never going to change. So even if he's wrong, he doesn't think so. Right. And and in fact, <laughs> takes pride on being able to
1: bring in the most enormous crop. Like that's yeah. chest swelling pride for him and his family. Yeah. We can't change that thinking because in America, you're proud if you employ 700
2: people. No. right?
1: What's great about how you end this whole thing is that us staying after employing all of these methods that were based on our economy not theirs that are based on Mm -hmm. our ideals not theirs that are based on the definition of success that is ours not theirs you say we haven't earned the right to stay
2: well, this goes back to the whole thing. Like, if we aren't going to take these problems seriously, if we're not going to look at a farmer and understand what their condition is, then you don't get to stay and continue to get it wrong. Should we stay? Probably, but we don't get to. We haven't earned the right. We haven't spent the time to develop the capacity. One of the things i talked about in my show recently with John McKay is, why are commanders primary engagers of Afghans? They're not specifically trained for it. When I would show up to a new unit, and, and I would look for the biggest boss around. And I would say, hey, sir, I'm here to help. Uh, is there one question you want me to keep? Like, yeah, I want to I wanna know who the most influential guy in the valley is. They all say this. They all say it. I would wait for it. Okay, okay, good. I already know the answer to that. Oh, good. Who is it? Wise guy. I'm like, it's you. The moment you show up with your personal security detail, your sacks of money, all the things that you have, until you do less of that, you're going to cause more problems than you're worth, you know, because it's not, we're not killing the Taliban every day. In some areas, do dead Taliban show up? Sure. But in most areas, it's not a day-to-day fight. You're not walking into fight. We were desperate for the Taliban to mass up and take us on in one final fight. But guess what? They're not going to do that because they're already winning by not doing that, right? And so when the commanders are are trying to figure these things out. It's my job to say, look at all of these things that you're getting wrong. Socially, politically, culturally, economically, religiously, all of these things you're losing every single day. You're losing the affect fight for the effect fight. You want to go straight to an objective. You don't even know the pathway. You think you're going straight. What you've done is you shot an arrow through a cloud. Cloud's still there. Arrow's gone. Wasted.
1: Mm. So well put. And I also want to just rewind quickly to the other thing I thought that was very prophetic about what you said about the California analogy uh, and the okay. Taliban. I mean, could you imagine going into Southern California, telling them they're growing their grapes wrong and then telling that person, well, we're here to get rid of the Californians because they're all the problem. Well, everyone <laughs> in California is a Californian. I mean, like, yeah. the, the same farmer probably identifies religiously or philosophically with some of the Ideals of Taliban life and some of that strict interpretation of Islam and the way they worship and the way they think. Now it just so happens that he grows grapes and his brother shoots a case. But I mean, you can't extract the Taliban from the group of farming communities, just as you can't extract the Californian from those grown grapes in Napa. I mean, it's 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 crazy, and we have not earned enough stock to stay because in two decades. We did it wrong every day. The op-ed is amazing. I'm pissed off that the New York Times wouldn't publish it, that the Washington Post denied you publication. That's why you get a seat here at our table. And uh, where can uh, people find that op-ed and in all the other great episodes of the Break It Down show?
2: I mean, the best place to go is just go to YouTube and type in Pete A. Turner. You know, that's the best place. You can go to BreakItDownShow.com. You'll find things there. And if you type in Pete A. Turner, Robert Gates, and and it'll be there. And there's other stuff like it, you know, our our foreign policy and all these things. I've written a, a lot about this. And look, I don't expect the New York Times to pick me up. This is part of the problem, right? I don't exist. And yet, look how vital I am in the car. Right. And so we want to go. We haven't earned the right. If I can't have a national platform challenging someone like Robert Gates, then what are we doing? I think we can accomplish this. I think we can stabilize Afghanistan as a multinational force, which is what we are supposed to be. But not not given what we've seen. And if we're not going to take it seriously, which we haven't. If a guy like me can't speak out on a national platform when they have legitimate things to say, then. No, you don't get to stay. You have to absorb the hit of that human atrocity that you caused and the Mm -hmm. trillions of dollars that we spent.
1: 70 months in combat zones taught you a lot, brother. You are wise. I always love hearing everything you have to say. You break it down like it's real, which is why you are uh, Army veteran Pete A. Turner, host of the Break It Down show. Your two cents
2: always spends like a buck with me, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on your show. As an old combat spy, one of the things that you do find along the way are friends in all kinds of places, and I count you among those. So thank you so much for having me on and let me talk about the stuff I've experienced.
1: Now for more, find Pete A. Turner on YouTube for episodes of The Break It Down Show. And you can search Pete Turner Robert Gates to find the article Losing in Afghanistan or Robert Gates Folly. And we'll be back with more when CBS Ion Veterans
0: returns. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow MoneyWatch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.